Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. All right. So good to have you guys here. We're excited to open up the Word of God. And the Bible says this, that faith grows in our lives through the hearing of the Word of God. I don't know about you today, I have an anticipation and an expectation that God would grow my faith today. I'm believing that, uh, that my faith would be stretched today. I'm believing that I, it would be pushed a little bit to its limits. Do you know it's at the edge of yourself, at the edge of your own limitations, that God's power begins to do its best work in our lives. Before we come to the end of ourselves, it's like God just stands back and says, hey, I'm here when you need me but you don't really seem like you need me right now. Just, just let me know. And when we get to the edge of ourselves, then God says, that is where my power is perfected in your life, where you realize it was exactly what I needed. So today I believe God wants to stir up our faith. And today I want to talk around a, a pretty simple theme. Uh, if you're taking notes, we're in a series right now looking at some of the stories Jesus told. And this is one of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told. It's a story of a party. Today's message, if you're taking notes, is entitled Party Time. Party Time. Turn to the person beside you and say, Party Time. Party Time. Party Time. You know, there's a, a word in, in our house that's just, it, it's, it, it outranks kind of any other word. It's a word that, that ought never be spoken, and uh, it's the word boring. Boring. It's just it, like that's a curse word in our house. Not not allowed to be bored. Our kids aren't allowed to be bored. I tell them if ever they even think of it, I say, hey, guys, only boring people are bored, right? Only boring people get bored. And, and, and people have the ability to bring party wherever they at. Do you believe that? Wherever that. Don't you just love being around those people that wherever they show up, a party starts? You know, in every family, some of you are like, no, I do not like being around those people. I want to just challenge you today that the more you get to know Jesus, he is that people. That wherever they come, man, there's people in every family. It's like you're waiting for the one cousin or you're waiting for that one auntie or uncle to show up. And when they show up, it's like, okay, guys, now we can start. Before then, it was just like the preamble. But now that they're here, the party has begun. And Jesus loved parties. Jesus found himself most often telling stories in the setting of party where there was food and where there was gatherings of people and where there was some who were maybe in an inner circle of friends and others who were in a, a larger circle where they were just acquainted to or connected in some way. Jesus shows kindness to people like Zacchaeus through inviting himself to a party. He goes, Zacchaeus, I know we've never met before, but I think we're going to be great friends. I'm coming to your house right now. Come on, let's party. And Zacchaeus, in that act of friendship, was brought to a life change where he said, man, Jesus wants to spend time with me in my life. Some of the most profound things that took place in, in Jesus' life and interaction with his friends happened around party. Uh, just before he went to the cross, he said to his friends, hey, go find us a spot. Tonight we're going to have a party. Tonight we're going to have a feast together. 
We're going we're gonna to break some bread. We're going to eat some lamb. We're going to enjoy, and we're going to spend some time together. And it, it is no different the, than the setting we pick up our story today, okay? Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 14. This is the story we're going to look at today. Jesus is at a party, and he's talking about party. How many people like a good birthday party? Good birthday party? How many people... How many people you say, I have outgrown birthday parties? Anyone? You're like, birthday parties, you know, once I, okay, some people. How many people like a good surprise birthday party? Throwing it or receiving it? Throwing, you like throwing it both, okay. Man, so in our house, our kids get invited to a lot of birthday parties. If we've never met before, I got seven kids, and uh, literally every person in each one of their classes invites each of them to their birthday party. So you got seven kids times by like 25 kids per class. Basically, we could be at a party almost every day. And so so the party invitation is not always, except like I can't show for everyone everywhere at all times, okay? One of the, the stipulations uh, of our own parties, when we do a party inside, like for, for family party, is we say whoever's the birthday boy or girl gets to pick what we're going to do, where we're going to go eat. But the, the guest list is kind of set. They already have their six best friends there. And so we're, we're just going to go do something like that. And some people are like, oh, wow, come on, where's the fun in that? Here's the thing. Already in life, I have had 56 children's birthdays. Okay, already in my life, I've celebrated my kids' birthdays 56 times, and it just keeps on going. And so we got we to put some parameters around party. Jesus, in this story, he puts some, some of you are like, hold on, just doing some math. You're like, I have a two-year-old. Both of those parties nearly, you know, took me to insanity. I've done it 56 times. That's why it's like bowling and Chipotle. Sounds like a party. Amazing. No gift bags, no goodies, you know. Jesus in this story is at a party and he's speaking to some of the the etiquette around parties. So in this story, which happened on a Sabbath day at that time, was very specifically, rigidly, religiously expected that on a Sabbath day, the only thing one could do is rest. And here they are at a party. Interestingly, at this party, they would have been being served by someone who by virtue of having to serve them wasn't able to to follow the rigid rules that were being placed around society. But they're in kind of not the down and out group today. I'd say they were in like an up and in party. This was higher society. Jesus had been invited to this party, and within the context of this party, they're eating together, and it's a Sabbath. And Jesus notices someone who is sick amongst them. He says to the the friends who have thrown the party, all important, all significant in society, all well-learned and and doing everything they could to live life just right. He says to them, hey, do you guys think it would be lawful to heal someone who is sick, even though it's a Sabbath day? Like even though this is supposed to be the rest day, even though religiously, rigidly, the expectation would be to just sit here and enjoy my food and let someone who's suffering suffer because it would take work. Do you think it's right? And nobody has an answer for them. Because really, what's the answer? They say, well, the the rule book says no, 
you shouldn't heal them, but I feel like you're going to say yes anyway, and I don't want to be the guy who calls you out. So then Jesus goes over to this one who is sick and, and heals them. And there's kind of like a murmuring in the crowd. The, the party, it's like this was not part of the party plan. There's someone in the back like, he's got to tell me these things if he's going to change the plan like this. I put a lot of work into this party. You can't just change it. It's like not a healing theme. This is a resting theme, right? Jesus, he just, he, he brings party. Now, now some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I like being around the party person, the party animal, the life of the party. But Jesus brings life into every situation he is. There's never a time in the gospel where you're like, they were all with Jesus, and in one accord, they were all really bored. It's like wherever he was, stuff was happening. Literal life came to the party. Where there was sickness leading towards death, Jesus enters the party and he goes, yeah, the food is great. I like, the, the wine is good. The conversation's great, but that person's sick. Don't you think we should heal them? No one says anything. So Jesus reaches out and says, we're going we're gonna to start a different type of party here. We're going to bring life where there's something broken. And then Jesus looks around, and they're all like, oh, that's not right. And then he starts speaking to them. Like Jesus, uh, he's kind of an awkward party guest at this party. He goes, okay, hey, guys, next time you come to a party, the one thing I found really weird today, it was not the, the color coordination. It wasn't the invites that went out. What I, what I found really strange is that as you came into the party, you all got your elbows out, and you tried to sit in the most important spot. It was really, really a little bit odd. Like you all fought to sit near the head of the table and you went through a process of ranking yourselves, who's better, who's less than, and, and all the while there's been this shuffling of who's most important. He goes, hey, next time you go to a party, why don't you just, just sit somewhere that's insignificant? Why don't you, you stop trying to rank yourself and just enjoy being at the party. He said, here's what's going to happen. If you try to sit in the most prominent place, if you try to make the party all about you, someone more important than you is going to come. And then you're going to have someone come tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, this person is better than you are. You need to go sit over there. How many people in your family, there's an adult table and a kid table? Family dinner comes, it's like there's the kid's table, right? How many people, you're an adult, but you still sit at the kid's table? Are you with me? It's like you're thinking about, like, I think I've graduated, like, like I'm done university, I'm married, got a couple kids. Somehow I'm still at the kids' table. How does this work out? He's saying this, hey, just find your spot at the kids' table. Let's be honest, the kids' table is more fun anyway. You can spill stuff. So he's like, hey, just, just like, find your, your spot and let somebody else commend you. He goes, the party is not about you, is ultimately the message he's trying to bring. He's like, the party's not about you. You're a guest. Just come and enjoy. Don't make it all about you. So, so in the first instance, he goes, hey, everyone, you're enjoying your food? Cool. What about this guy who's sick over here? They don't know what to say. He goes, hey, guys, the party's not about you. And he heals the sick man. Then he looks at the guests. He said, why have you guys been fighting over where you're going to sit? The party's not about you. Why don't you just sit and enjoy and let somebody else commend you? Then he says this, hey, and, and to the hosts of this party, like, great job. But next time, and while I'm at it, all of you, next time you throw a party, um, why don't you not make a habit of just inviting one another to your parties? You're living in a system 
where you always are trying to get what you deserve. And it's like, okay, you got, you got me this time, but I'll get you next time. He goes, why don't you instead invite people who do not have the means to ever pay you back? Like, that would be a party. He says, so ultimately, like, to those attending the party, it's not about you. To those who are trying to figure out where they sit and where they rank, the party's not about you. And then even to the host, he's like, hey, host, the party's not about you. Because even while you're throwing this party and you're showing generosity, ultimately what you're trying to do in return is just make sure that the most important people invite you back. He goes, next time just invite people who like, don't have jobs. Invite people who are new to, the, new to the area and don't have the means to help you. Maybe invite some unemployed people. Invite, invite, he goes on to say things like this, like someone who's blind, who in that society would never be able to, to pay for themselves, let alone throw a party. Invite them. No one invites them to a party. Like, include some people who would never be included. See, Jesus, they're like, man, who invited this Jesus guy again to this? This was supposed to just be a party. He's healing people. He's calling us out. He's challenging us. And then into this, I, I, I give you that context so the story makes most, more sense, okay? So into that, somebody gets real spiritual. Anybody have that friend? I feel like most groups of, of, of Christians anyway have that friend. And if you can't think of who it is, you are that friend in your, in your little circle, who just like turns things awkwardly spiritual. So here's what happens, okay? They're, they're all going like, kind of tough message here, Jesus. I, like we were just getting ready for the main course, and here you are talking about where we should be sitting and, and you know, critiquing the guest list. And so then someone gets real spiritual. Ready? They say this, verse 15 of Luke chapter 14. Then one of those at the table with him heard this, and he said to Jesus, Well, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Am I right? Am I right? And everyone's like, ooh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Just got us right back on party talk. Like, Jesus, we, we liked when he was talking about the law. We liked when he was talking about, like, like theological things. And then he got into, like, healing people, challenging us. Didn't like that. Let's take this thing spiritual again. Someone goes, let me reference the Old Testament. There shall be a, a feast known as the feast of the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who eats that bread. You know, they drop their mic. They're like, yes, I have my moment. Interestingly, this person's name was never mentioned because it was a stupid statement to make at that part. I, I feel like like Jesus, he's, he, he kind of gives that look. He's like, yeah. Everyone else is like, oh, yeah, that, oh, I wish I had thought to say that. I wish I had thought to make it more spiritual. Right here around that person, you're like, man, I'm having a rough day. They're like, yeah, but, but God is good. Am I right? Yeah, he is good for sure. For sure. I wasn't saying he wasn't. <laughs> Just saying I was having a hard day. But I guess you can't be a person right now. Right? So here they are like, Jesus, getting too personal. Let's just kind of back up a bit and make this theological again. See, here's the truth about theology. All theology is practical. All theology is practical. In seminary, you can actually take uh, take a course called Applied Theology, meaning actually putting to practice what you believe to be true about God. But the, the reality is all theology is practical. 
All theology is applicable. It's not just theoretical. What we believe to be true about God informs our decisions. It informs our values. And I believe it's true of every person on the planet today. What we value about God, what we see to be true about God, shapes our entire worldview. Someone goes, well, no, 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 no. I don't even believe there is a God. Exactly. Your theology is shaping your entire worldview. And so you live with a sense of fatalism. Whatever happens just happens. There's no purpose. There's no cause. There's no reason. And if you dig down deep, that belief system is built simply on the thought that there isn't a God. Others believe, oh, no, God is many. Everything is God. This mic is a God. This chair is a God. And they live constantly feeling a sense of, I have not appeased enough. Because there could be a God somewhere on the list that I haven't pleased. Other people live thinking this. They're, they're, I can just choose my own pet God. Right? The, the Old Testament talks about this all the time. Like, what a, what a thought. Like, you carved it, and then you worship it? Like, you took a piece of wood, you put a face on it, and then you said, you are my God. He goes, like, that's, that's crazy. But yet that theology would inform values made, decisions made. And the same is true of us. What we think is true about God, the picture we have of Jesus informs the way we live. You say, well, I, I love Jesus. I, I live for Jesus. I've, I've said a prayer and, and made a decision to, to be a Christian. I even put it on my Instagram like bio, right? I, I've got like Jeremiah 29, 11 and a little cross emoji on my bio. This is for real, Right? Sometimes I, I like I story pictures like pages of the Bible with highlighted sections. I'm really in this. But what we believe to be true about about God actually informs the decisions we make. There are some people who think that God, like the the person throwing this party, is only kind or close to those who live according to a rigid set of standards. And so they, li they live forever guilty that they're missing the mark and in hiding from those who might notice that they're missing the mark. They live constantly feeling ashamed that they, they haven't really reached a level or attained to a level and, and as though they would never belong in a party thrown by Jesus. There are some people who believe of God that, that what he likes about them is their effort. And so they look around at others judging their lack of effort, calling them lazy and saying, you know, there's just something missing with, with this group of people, or this generation, or this subgroup of people, and, and, and what they lack is a sincerity that somehow I have. Do you know that it's not the sincerity that you have, or the effort that you have, or the striving you have that God loves about you? For real. He loves because He is love. It's His nature, His bent towards us. It's, he designed us to be recipients of His love, in recipients of his kindness. For some people, you have become convinced that, that Jesus is not the God of the party. Like raising your voice. I remember once uh, I had a friend come to church with me and he goes, what are these drums doing here? I'm like, oh, do you not like drums? He's like, no, I like drums, but this is a church. <laughs> like, what are these drums doing here? I had a friend come with me to conference last week and, and he, he sat with me in the front row. He goes, I, I didn't know this is what you meant. When you said church, I had a completely different picture. I'm like, well, of course you did. Of course you did. And that's why you just happened to be busy the last 25 times I asked you to come with me. Because you had a different concept, a different idea of what church would be. So Jesus 
answering this kind of like oddly, awkwardly spiritual question. Someone's like, this is getting too real. Let's just take it back to the theoretical. Jesus tells a story that brings it right back home and makes it really real again. Can I tell you that story? In Luke chapter 14, check out this incredible story. Someone say it's party time. Jesus said this, verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Someone say many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But all alike, they began to make excuses. The first said, well, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. So please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to go try them out. So please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. He's like, I, I mean, it would, I would have to ask the wife. I don't even know how that would go. I, let me just say the no for, for me. I'm not coming. And then he said this, the servant came back and he reported to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered that servant, go out quickly Go to the streets, go to the alleys, go to the town. Bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the blind, bring in the lame. Sir, the servant said, what what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And so the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will even have a taste of my banquet. What an interesting story. So someone's going to be blessed is the one who shall eat bread at the kingdom of feast of God of love almighty. Praise God. And he looks at him. He's like, ah, yeah, you don't really understand. So let me try to explain in the form of story. There was a a master of a of a household. He was throwing a feast. The word feast, it comes from a from a Greek word, which means expensive or extravagant. So there was a master who was sparing no cost to celebrate with people, who was invested fully into celebrating and spending time with people. This master was so committed to spending time with and celebrating with people that he let them know ahead of time what he was planning to do. And then he got prepared. So in this manner, Jesus is talking about, about what heaven feels like. It's like God has been preparing a place and a time for people to be together, and he's been dropping hints. It's been really clear how much he loves people. He's going through like the nth degree, trying to make sure people know they're loved. And he said, then the time comes, like the right time comes. And he says to his servant, go make sure the people who have been invited know. Now in that time, pre-clock, this is how parties happen. You would let people know there's a time coming on a day in the future. I'll send someone to let you know when the time comes. And the expectation and the norm would be that that person rolls up and says, hey, remember that party that you talked about a while ago? It's happening right now. And the expectation and the norm, because parties are fun, is that people would drop what they were doing and get themselves to the party. So what he is saying here is kind of like this odd off-putting, a little bit offensive thing that those who had been invited didn't want to come. Like, they had said they'd be there, but then when the time came, they didn't follow through. Anyone have that, friend? 
on everyone. Anyone ever been that friend? Like, why did I say I'm interested on Facebook? I just started myself down. I just have this rule. I'm like, I just try never to respond to to invitations on Facebook because then there's people like, why didn't you come to my party? I didn't know about it. You said you were interested. Like, oh, that button. Just avoid that button. So he comes to the first person, and the first person has a, an excuse. The excuse is this. I bought a piece of land. I want to go look at it. Man, that sounds like a party, right? Just a great party. He's just like, there it is. Just look at her. Wow. There he's missing out on the party. He's like, but wow, what a piece of land this is. Serving a little bit confused, like, well, that that wasn't expected because he was, like, for sure on the list. Comes to the next person and goes, hey, the party's happening. It's happening right now. You remember, you're invited. You're included. You're on the list. You're wanted. You're chosen. The guy goes, oh, man, if it were any other day but now, I'd be there. But uh, I just bought some oxen, and I've been dying to try these out. I mean, there's some really strong-looking oxen, right? He's like, I'm just going to take them for a spin. He's got five yoke of oxen. That means ten oxen that are strapped together and are good for pulling things, like plows. He's like, oh, I just, I've, been, I've been waiting all season to get my oxen out on the open road and just see what they can do. Just <laughs> open it up. It's like, how many horsepower? No, no, they're oxen-powered, right? It's like, yeah, we're just going to pull some plows, just see how, how they go. So, sorry, just let the master know. I'll, I'll, I'll catch him next time. Third person, they come like, man, hey, we haven't seen each other in a while, but this is the time the party. Oh, I forgot to say I was getting married. There's no chance. Like, I'd rather not be with you. First two people say, please excuse me. This guy doesn't. He's like, yeah, I'm not coming. Whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, these people miss out on the party. Now, one thing I think is really interesting that we ought to note is that the servant, knowing the heart of the master, on his way, returning to the master, he goes, I know the heart of the master is a full house. I know the heart of the master is that this be a party. That the party is not even just for the guests, it's for the one who's being honored. And so I'm going to do everything I can to see that house full. So on his way through the town, he's meeting people who, just like the story or the, the, the charge Jesus gave, have no ability to ever pay the master back, who are no, no position to ever invite him back. But he goes, I know my master's heart. I know, I know his heart. He's put cost and investment into this, and it's just about people, including people. And so he stopped. There's blind people, crippled people, lame people. And someone's like, why is this always about, like, what are we, like, the physical limitations? It was actually more pointing out to a socioeconomic limitation than a physical one these were people who were not of any sort of means to ever ask this master back but the heart of the master in this story God himself the heart of God is not that we would pay him back it's not that we would put position ourselves to live such good lives that God would say well that was a great investment like it didn't cost me that much only Jesus and uh, we'll look at all the hard work they've done in exchange the truth of the matter is grace will always be an imbalanced uh, point of view on the ledger where God has given way more than we could ever give in return. Some of us, our view of God is that he's waiting for us to pay him back and he's, he, you know, he's keeping a tab. But the Bible says this of love. It says love keeps no records. Love's not keeping a record of wrongs, of what's owed. Love's not going, wow, I bailed you out again. Man, you were lonely. 
you were about to do something in your loneliness that you would regret, and then I, I sent you some hope in that moment, that's going to cost you. I'm expecting you to, to get me back on. That's not how grace works. And so the, the servant understanding the heart of the master comes back and says, I've actually already done that. Like, so I, I've asked the people who, who had initially been invited, and I got rejected. But that's okay, because I'm resilient. Someone say resilient. See, I, I think too many servants, they, they feel rejection. They're like, man, I know the heart of God would be to extend his love for people and that they would know they're invited, that they know they're included. But then upon experiencing rejection, they're like, oh, I tried so hard and it didn't work. I love this servant. He's not, re- he's not living in rejection. He's resilient. He's like, so before I even came back to let you know, I already got a crew. Got some lame guys, some blind guys, a couple cripples. You know, been working hard. You know, I, I got the wheelchair brigade out. We, we, we're filling the party. We're doing our best. And then the master says this, hey, quickly, quickly, you got to go back out. There's still time and there's still space. The urgency of the master, he, he's, he's like, he's not sitting there stewing and going like, oh, my party's ruined. My party's over. This was supposed to be the party of the year. How could they do this to me? Say so the goal is we're going to be together. We're going to celebrate together. So he says, the time is short, but the space is still available. And so he sends them to two places. Interesting, in the King James Version, it says, go to the highways and the hedges, which is kind of an interesting thought. Go to the highways, go to the hedges. Of highways, it's speaking of those who are quickly moving about their life in a really defined purpose. There are some people in your world right now who are on mission, on task, living their life with a defined purpose, and they're going after it. They're go-getters, you could say. They've got a goal. And so often, we don't stop to think of including and inviting those who are on mission, who are going, like, well, why would they ever, ever stop? We say no for people, don't we? You ever said someone's no for them? I heard just yesterday of 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 a guy who was who was like pretty madly in love with this girl, but convinced that she would never be interested. He was telling me his story. He said, so here's what happened. I, I just kind of went up to her. She was on her way, like going on a trip. And I thought she should just know. And so the day she was leaving for a trip, I just came, she was driving away. I tapped on her window. She rolled her window down. I was like, hey, just so you know, I got feelings for you, but it's cool. And he's like, he's like, I walked away and I was like, nailed it. Nailed it. I let her know, you know. Let her know. And now, now she's got time to process it. And, 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 you know, I got time to not feel bad about it. How often do we say no for people? We're like, oh, that person, they're, I mean, they're busy, right? Like, they got a job. I mean, again, our theology has, has informed our worldview. It's informed the way we live. We think that God would only be interesting to those who come to their wits' end. But the truth is, some of the most successful, external-looking people where everything seems to be going right are people who are desperately lonely on the inside, who are longing for purpose on the inside. I remember once taking a group of students through the, through the uh, gas town into the East End, and there were students who lived uh, in, in the Fraser Valley, so the, the whole world was kind of crazy concept. This was years ago. We went to the old spaghetti factory because that's what people did in Gastown. And we went and they said, hey, we got some time. Let, let, why don't we meet some people? And, and I watched as a group that, that virtually all of them 
said, well, I want to go be an encouragement to someone. And so they went over, and, and there was people sitting who were begging for money, and they, they talked with them, which I thought was great that their heart would be open in that way to people who lived in a different socioeconomic uh, station of life than they did. And, and then we sat down for a meal. I said, hey, who'd you guys meet? And every person in the group said, I met someone who, who was really poor, and, and I, I talked to them. I said, that's awesome. I said, did anyone notice that there were some people who were not really poor? Did, oh, no, 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 we were, we were focused on the needy ones. I said, that's not what need looks like. In the kingdom of God, need is not, is not a bank account thing, right? So I'm like, man, did you notice that guy who had like, like really sick shoes who walked by with his expensive dog? And like, yeah, no, I was busy talking to the person who was poor. See, G- Jesus, he understands that that the need he fills is not a monetary one. Some of us, the concept we have of God is that he's like our, our insurance policy. When things go bad, there's always God. But the truth is God wants to give us life that is full and abundant. So he goes, hey, find the people who are on a highway. They're on mission. They're going fast. They're making their way through town. They have no intention of stopping. And, and try to stop them. And then he goes, and then, then go to the hedges, which means these people who are separated by a barrier. This is like, get out of your comfort zone. Make a new friend. Find someone who thinks differently than you, who values different things than you, who posts things on on, on their social media that you could not hit the little like button for. So you disagree with fundamentally. They're on different sides of arguments than you. They live in different circles than you live, and and they, they champion different causes than you would champion, and try to bring them too. He goes, don't just try. Compel. Compel them to come. Compel them to come. What does it mean to compel? I mean, one way you could put it is it means to put them in a headlock. Ultimately, headlock them. This word compel, it's like when a ship is going from one body of water to another. Like think of the Panama Canal. It goes in, there's only one way in. And and the, the walls, like the wide open space of the Pacific Ocean, all of a sudden becomes very constrained. And you compel the ship to go in the place that you've prepared for it. It means this, like make it really easy for them to see how they can be included. Make it like, like so obvious. Now someone goes, headlock, that seems violent. Here's the, here's the thing, when, when Paul talks about compelling, I'm going to read this in a moment. He says, it's the love of God that compels me. I think that same virtue plays out in this story right now, where the master says this, I want you to go to people who seem like they're really on task and on mission and they're going fast. And then I want you to go find some people who think differently and love them so hard that they just find themselves like, well, why wouldn't I want to be in this party? Like, well, how, how can I love someone who thinks different? Because I don't want to endorse their different thoughts. I don't think anyone's looking for your endorsement anyway. Just be a person. You know, I think so often we, we, we shy away from people who act differently, think differently, or do something that the Bible would call sin because we're like, we wouldn't want to be associated. And by virtue, someone would think we're that way. And then, oh man, then what's going to happen to heaven? I'm telling you what's going to happen to heaven. It's going to be populated by people who've got a laundry list of issues. That's what Jesus said. So he's, he's giving this picture of what heaven's party is going to look like. It will not include some of the people most readily invited. Because they will have excuses and they'll miss it. Heaven will not necessarily include some of those people. Like, it's crazy because that guy had land. That guy had oxen. 
Like he knows the rules of society. When you get invited, you go and then you keep track and you invite back. That's how the system works. Do you know this, this banquet most likely was, is a reference to a wedding? Think of this. The third person, their excuse was, I just got married. In other words, I just have my party. I don't care about your party. I got other things I'm excited about. The things that you're excited about don't matter to me. But the servant's heart is not rejected. It's resilient. Understanding the, the, the master's plan, the master's picture, which is my house must be full. You know, I think even as we, we prepare to set up shop and to, to do church in different places, the heart of, of Jesus would be that when we gather, it's a party. The party's not like, like streamers and stuff. Party's not like, what's the refreshments? I mean, all those things play into a good party, but ultimately, people make a party, Right? You could show up to the best party. I remember my son was invited to a birthday party at the best venue. Man, it was awesome. Good time. And he showed up and he realized he was the only other kid invited. And he showed up and, and it was like in that moment, he's like, oh, I'm going to have to make this party good. I was the only friend brought. I said to him after, I'm like, how was it? He goes, it was great, Dad. It was great. I was the only kid invited, but I made sure we had a good time. And we had a good time. See, people make a party. So why, what are we going to do in, in New West? We're going to have a party. Downtown, we're going to be having a party. In Kits, we're going to have, have an after-party party. Yeah, like, we're having parties where people are, where life is. I believe Jesus is going to heal some people. I believe Jesus is going to shake some paradigms of rigid religious thinking. Like, well, this isn't what I believe to be true about God. But you'll meet him for who he is. And if our heart is in this story to recognize we're not the master, it's Jesus' party. Don't be rejected when someone doesn't want to come to Jesus' party. That's between them and Jesus. We're not even just the guests. I mean, the, the, the position he's assigned to those of us who know and, and relate to him is be the servant. Be the servant. Make sure the house is full. And so he says this, do it quickly because there's still time. But he's almost says, it's like the food's going to get cold. So we're on the clock. And then compel them to come. We're calling today Compel Sunday. See, I don't want to be compelled by, by rules. We don't have like a, a series of goals. It's not like, see that chair beside you? That chair represents someone. They better be full. Like ultimately, there's people on highways and byways who are living life fast who if you would just stop and, and take some time would love to be included in the party. And there's some people on the other side of the hedge who live a totally different life than you and it would be uncomfortable to even go there, be uncomfortable to relate to them. But if we understand the heart of the master, it would be this, his house must be full. There's still room in the party. There's room enough. It's an inclusive message, an inclusive heart. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.